This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with New York Red Bull Academy coach Chris Harmon. He discusses his under-12s recent victory in a tournament based out of Austin and what was learnt from all the other academies, how they focus on transitional play with it being ingrained in their coaching programme, as well as the differences between the Barcelona and Red Bull way. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Good to go. So, Chris, really appreciate you jumping on and spending a bit of your time with me. I know we caught up a little bit off air there, but um, seems like Christmas break was all good. Bit of family time, bit of downtime away from the mad world that's football. Yeah, yeah. First off, thanks for having me. Um, no, it's it's been good to kind of reset, recharge the battery for sure. Uh, you know, see some see some family. Um, but like I said before, I'm I'm already itching to get back on the field and and see the players and and yeah, get back to the cold of uh, of New York and and uh, ready for the the winter and the spring season to, to kick off here. Perfect. So, so you alluded to a little bit there with New York and, and whatnot, but for people that maybe haven't come across you or your work, do you just want to give us kind of a bit of a whistle-stop tour of what, I guess, why you've got into soccer, your end, football, our end, or, um, and maybe a, a few stops on your journey coaching-wise and then where you are at the moment? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Um, you know, I, I come from a big family, pretty blue collar area outside of outside of the city. Um, you know, I come from a family of educators and, and sports was always big growing up. Um, so that was kind of, you know, something we, you know, we surrounded ourselves with and, and kind of connected through. Um, you know, I played played soccer, you know, every waking minute growing up um and then you know ultimately you know went to college went to um university in, in virginia old dominion university um where, where i played um which was a great experience for me um you know at that point in, in my career in my life all i wanted to do was play you know and and uh at that time i i had an idea of you know when I was done, I wanted to get into coaching. So I, I chose to go and study physical education. Um, you know, I thought that would be um, relevant, you know, when, when I did, you know, stop playing and things like that. So um, Old Dominion was an amazing experience for me. They, it's, you know, a bit of a mid-major division one program, um, which means, you know, at that time, uh, things have changed a little bit. And now kind of most programs, you know, recruit, internationally but at that time it, you know especially for the mid-major you know programs they were pretty heavily international um, which was for me unbelievable uh, walking into that locker room and having guys from you know, all parts of the world really speaking different languages you know different cultures you know mix was was, was unbelievable and something that you know I was looking for so uh, that I think that really kind of was you know, open my eyes to, wow, this, this game really can, can, you know, bring you to, to different places and have you meet different people and, and give you experiences that, you know, I would definitely not have had. Um, so, you know, had a pretty good career at Old Dominion. And then, you know, like most, you know, kind of chased the dream, tried to play, um, you know, did went overseas was in Spain um, for a preseason with um, third division club Cornea. Um, in Barcelona so was there you know bounced around different trials USL teams MLS teams uh, I did a stint with a, a USL team in Dayton Ohio you know and ultimately it was like everybody I think you get to that point where you realize uh, you know it's just the, the ceiling you know you've kind of hit it and you know mine that you know I think I think that moment for me is a bit of a funny story um, I was with I was on trial with Orlando City at the time. Um, they were they were just making the transition from USL to MLS, and we had a friendly against AS Roma. And you know, not expecting the to even be rostered and walk into the locker room and my, you know my my names on the board to start right. Michael Bradley, Tati, the Rossi, right in the tunnel, and I'm just looking over, fresh out of college, going, yeah, there's there's no chance here, no chance here. So, you know, absolutely 
just chasing shadows. And, and I remember thinking at that point, walking off and go, you know, getting the shepherd's hook at halftime and, and, and just realizing, you know, uh, there's, there's no chance here, but, you know, again, I, and I think quickly understanding, you know, I, I want to be around this. I want to be, I still want to be around the game. Um, so an opportunity uh, rose to, to get into college coaching um, where I went to Florida Southern, a division two school where I kind of got my feet wet and, and, you know, actually the guy that recruited me at Old Dominion, Ryan Snagoski was, was the head coach there and he was kind of getting his uh, first start as a head coach. So, um, you know, he gave me a lot of, a lot of freedom and, and, and I learned a lot kind of in that year, um, you know, and, and I, just like everybody has their own story of, you know, full-time hours, you know, basically unpaid, you know, all those things. And looking back, you, you go, man, those were some of the best times. Um, when you had nothing, but you were literally just, you know, you were just learning and, and kind of putting yourself in, in uncomfortable positions, um, you know, having just stopped playing and then, you know, transitioned into a coach, right. You know, and you don't know what you don't know at that point, you're just, you're just learning. So um, an opportunity then after that opened up to get back to my alma mater, Old Dominion University, where I worked on both sides. I was the director of ops with the women and the men's team, uh, which was, a really great experience on one end was uh, Alan Dawson, who's a Northern Irish coach who, who I played for. And then on the women's side was Angie Hind, uh, who had spent times in, in the Scottish FA, assistant national team coach. So, you know, I had really good mentors and, you know, ultimately ended up working for both. I did a year as an assistant on the women's side, which was something that, you know, I, I'd never thought I would get into the women's game, but I do have a very you know, a mentality of yeah, different experiences are, are, you know, I think is the best way to learn. And I learned so much in that year under Angie and Michelle, Michelle Barr, who's, you know, her assistant. And then I transitioned to, to two and a half years on the men's side where, you know, I, ultimately I thought that was going to be my pathway in coaching. Uh, I loved working with the, the older, the older players. Uh, I loved being able to connect with them and, and really, you know, at that time uh, we were kind of, you know, transitioning in terms of we had we had a lot of good international players, but, you know, it was kind of a goal of mine is I wanted to get good American players in there as well. So worked really hard. I, I had the opportunity to go and recruit. I was recruiting internationally, spent maybe 16 days in Europe, you know, almost alone, traveling around, watching games, things like that, which ultimately was such an amazing experience um, going to different clubs and, you know, and then. And then I got to the point, you know, three or four years in at Old Dominion where I realized, you know, I, I needed to perfect my craft. You know, I felt, you know, I was young, 24 at the time, 25. I had a good, you know, some would say a good, a good gig. You know, I was a division one assistant coach, um, but I just felt like a, a piece of, you know, my craft, my career was missing. And it was, I wasn't coaching enough, you know, and I, and I felt like, you know, I was inadequate in that and I wasn't doing the players justice. So I kind of had this fear of, you know, man, I, I need to get out and, and I need to do more and I need to get on the grass and I need to learn. Um, where I, I reached out to Sean McCafferty, who uh, was the, he was the academy director at Barca Residency Academy. He had actually coached me growing up. He was in the Philadelphia area at the time um, as when I was a player, you know, and I reached out and just said, hey, look, I'm, look, I'm looking for an opportunity you know, and, and he said, listen, I, I have a pre-academy team at the time. And, and basically was, they had the DA, uh, it was a full residential program in, in Arizona. They had the top three teams. And then they had a couple, you know, pre-academy teams, which feed it into them. And I said, you know, let, you know, let me come out and see it. And, uh, you know, I flew to, flew to Arizona and, and man, it, there was only the first year, um, that they were getting going there. And, I was just, I was amazed, you know, it kind of captured me in a way that I didn't, ex you know, didn't expect. It was like being in a, a, you know, a national team camp. I'm, I'm, these kids are, it's like a little mini getaway. They're all in this, in dorms, they're all living together. You know, they, they go to school together, they eat together. And then, you know, they head out to the fields together. And, and then, you know, as they're walking out to the fields and again, this is, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to to Casa Grande, it's a really desolate area, but there's an academy kind of based in the middle of the desert um, where these these players, you know, they they come from all over the country. They leave their homes, they leave their families, 
you know, and they live there full time. And it's truly a place where that you just emerge yourself in, in, in football and in the game. And, you know, seeing that I knew, you know, this was a place where I could, I could come and learn and, and really graft and, and perfect uh, my craft. You know, the, the, the Barca methodology, the, Bar the, the Barca, you know, tie-in, the affiliation for me was, was unbelievable. They had two full-time technical directors that, that, you know, are on site. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the stipulations are they, they've had to have been in La Masia for a certain amount of time. So, you know, they're proper, proper coaches, you know, and, and their job, they didn't coach teams. Their, their job was just to oversee the coaches and ensure that the methodology was being presented in, in the right way. And for the, the first nine months, I actually lived in the dorms, um, you know, because I just wanted to, you know, be on the field. I wanted to be around the coaches. I wanted to, again, learn, just learn. And that, that first nine months was, was really difficult. Um, you know, having come from the time I was living in Virginia Beach, I was close to family, close to friends, uh, you know, a place that I was very familiar with to all of a sudden kind of being plunged into, um, you know, the desert, really, you know, not, you know, not really knowing many people. And, and all I did was watch sessions and coach sessions. And, you know, during that time, I, I you know, I got my 10,000 hours on the grass where it was, it was prepare, execute, reflect over and over and over again. And, um, you know, that's where I, you know, I learned the importance of preparation, the importance of um, small details and how everything plays a part into, to what, you know, the final outcome, what you want, you know, what you put into it is what you're ultimately going to get. Um, so I learned, learned so much there under the Barca guys, under, under Sean, under the other coaches was there for three years. Eventually the next year I ended up taking the 17s, the top team. Uh, the year after that, I transitioned into a, um, a leadership role where I was the assistant academy director. Uh, Sean had since moved on. Uh, Jed Quinn was and still is the academy director there. He, you know, he he gave me some some more again leadership roles. I was not only just on the field with the, the 17s, that group uh, who had some top quality players, uh, but I started to learn the ins and the outs of how to how to run a program like that. You know how um, you know the importance of of you know not just being on the field, but everything else that, that goes into to running the program and and. You know, I learned so much during that year. After, you know, that, that year kind of, again, came to an end. Um, I felt like I was ready to kind of take the next step. I was ready to, you know, get back to the East Coast as well. I'd been, I'd been away from home for a very long time. So at that point, I was able to transition. Uh, Sean McCaffrey had moved on to New York Red Bulls, so where he's now the academy director, and to where, yeah, I started in, in August. Uh, so it's been a couple months here. I'm, I've I took the 12s initially, uh, and then, you know, one of the, the 14s, uh, one of the coaches had stepped away. So I had actually taken taken on two teams. So I've been taking the 12s and the 14s, and it's been full steam ahead. And again, we can get into the Red Bull stuff here, but kind of a long-winded winded answer there. Apologies for that, but, you know, a lot to digest. But again, it, it's super happy. Red Bull has exceeded expectations, um, and being in this environment, top players, top coaches, uh, has been unbelievable so far. Yeah, I think a really nice overview there. And obviously gives us loads of stuff to talk about, but also a bit of an idea of how people's journeys fluctuate in yeah. terms of experiences and whatnot. So if we start with where you are now, obviously New York Red Bull, um, which is a pretty well-known club, both in the US, but also kind of worldwide. I guess from your perspective, what drew you to the club in the first place? Yeah, I think uh, I think their reputation for player development, their reputation for playing young players, you know, working in an academy where, you, you know, you can see first half, firsthand there's a blueprint that they're going to trust young players. They're going to give them the opportunity. So ultimately, you know, if you do your job at the academy level, you know, the players are going to get, they're going to get the opportunities. You know, there, there is a pathway. Something that I think I was missing at, at Barca, I felt like, um, you know, the, the players, they got to a point and they were ready. They were ready to take that next step. And and to have this pathway now has been so exciting. Um, again, I've only been there a couple of months, but 
talking to colleagues and, and other coaches that, you know, guys that they had two, three years ago are now making transitions in the second team, second team into the first team and breaking in uh, something that really excites me because, you know, if you're a player, you're always thinking, you know, what's next, you know, how, how do I take that next step? And when it's there, when you're in the same facility, when you're day in and day out, you know, training, my, you know, there's, there's days where my U12 team is training on a turf and the first team could be training right next to us, you know, and, and to have that experience for our players and, you know, giving the, the players a water break and them not, them not moving an inch and just sitting there and watching the first team, you know, it's an unbelievable experience for them. And for me, it's something that, again, it's, it's exciting. Um, and, and really drew me to towards, towards Red Bull. And then the people, um, having worked for Sean, um, uh, before I knew the, the type of standards, uh, that he, he upholds the, the quality that, that he brings and, and he expects from everyone around him. And I knew it was going to be a place that I could continue to grow, uh, gain more experience, learn from others. Uh, yeah. And ultimately, you know, hopefully take that next step in my development. In terms of, uh, culture environment obviously each club tries to set out what they want their culture to look like both for staff and for players what is the strap line for you guys what what I guess what what before you went into the building what did people say to you the culture environment was like and then when you went into the building what did you feel how did you feel when you stepped through the doors and what did you see from a, a, your own perspective yeah um, from a culture standpoint it, it, what I had heard and the reputation, you know, going into it from the people who've been in, been in it before had mentioned that it's, it's such a well-connected organization, you know, from the academy to the first team, you know, and I think COVID unfortunately has, you know, made that difficult. Um, but it's, it's something having, you know, had conversations with Sean and, and, you know, it's something they definitely want to get back to. It was a, a, a situation where, you know, we're able to watch first team trainings. We're able to watch second team trainings uh, that the academy coaches had access to, to everything. Uh, you know, Simon Nee, who's been in, in uh, New York Red Bulls organization for, I think, 15 years. You know, he he's talks about Jesse Marsh, you know, taking him in for a whole week, you know, having him watch sessions, uh, you know, having him in for video sessions. You know, Chris Armish ha having the coaches in for, for anything, you know, just being so open and, and seeing that, that connection, uh, you know, is something that, that I, I can already experience, you know, even, even with the, the restrictions and how open they are, you know, we're, we're watching the first team sessions and the coaches are coming over and talking to us. Um, and then ultimately the other thing is, is that, the, you know, they, they're an organization that prides themselves on, on, on learning, you know, they do, they do tons of coach education for the the surrounding clubs. Uh, they have youth programs below the um, below the the academy, which I think it employs 180 coaches, and and they do coach education every week. You know, and I I was only with the club for you know two months at the time, and I was running a a, a session you know on our field for 70 70 youth programs coaches of coaches in the area. You know, mic'd up and doing those things and. It's just something that, you know, it's it's not just a, a, a one-way street where we we try and get above, we try and give back to the, you know, the the areas, the surrounding areas. Um, so it's it's definitely an organization that prides itself on continuing to the development and learning of the staff members, uh, which has been unbelievable. When when you stepped through the door, did you feel kind of that that connection between staff? Obviously, I know you mentioned it being challenging because of not necessarily being able to see the first team because of COVID and all that. But did you feel the connection as you're walking up and down the hallways, or when you're on calls with people, or when teams are taking sessions? Could you feel that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the, and the staff has been been unbelievable. And one thing that that you know is also you know, parent, there's only five academy teams, you know, there's only five coaches, you know, and it, coming from a club where there was 10 of us plus, you know, directors and, you know, it was such a bigger staff where it's a bit, a little bit more of a close knit uh, staff and in the academy level, and everybody's just so willing to help. And, and, you know, everybody is, is so eager to, again, to, to, I think that the culture that's instilled is the, the players are the most important. And that's something that, 
Sean talks about all the time. We won't do anything if it, if it doesn't benefit the players. Uh, so having that as kind of your gold standard of, does this help the players? Yes. Okay. Then it doesn't matter what it means for the staff. You know, it means we're going to find a way to, to, to get it done. And again, the resources that, that Red Bull has at the academy level is unbelievable, right? They're always thinking, how can we improve? How can we get the best out of the players? So, um, you know, we have, we have youth program staff that come up and, and assist us during training sessions. You know, every training session you have at least two people, you know, two coaches on the field, sometimes three, um, you know, you have kind of a check and challenge, um, process as well, where we're every day we're coming back in. And when we're talking about, we're putting our sessions up on the, on the projector and, 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 you know, you're talking about it, you're talking about what went wrong, what, you know, and you're having immediate feedback from guys who are there. Right. And we're videos, we're videoing each, each training session. And again, you're, you're getting checked and challenged every step of the way. Um, which for me, there, there's no better way, you know, it's the reflection piece has to be, has to be there. Um, or else you'll just kind of brush it on the table and move on. So, you know, having that support of the other staff, um really really has has helped me you know kind of feel comfortable you know right away having stepped in and being new um but just the culture of again what's best for the players and and ultimately if we're better versions of ourselves if we're you know taking ideas from each other and we're all come from different backgrounds and different experiences you know if we're putting the best product of us on the field then the players are going to benefit so uh it's the culture of again player first is has definitely been instilled since day one. Linking on to the players then. So if if you take your U12s, for example, because I know obviously you've worked with them um, during the first part of the season, what would their working week look like? So what would they actually be doing from a training perspective? And then how do you individualise your sessions or um, your support to be able to you know, help that specific player that, that needs it or you feel like could do with more challenge? Sure. So we train four times a week, um, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So we have an off day in the middle of the week on Wednesday. Um, you know, and obviously for the 17s, that has a little bit more implications for physical load and things like that. With with the 12s, um, you know, we we kind of we plan our week in a, in a sense of Mondays for all the teams are, are more of an IDP individualized training load where, where we are really trying to focus in on where maybe the 17s are focusing in on, on one player. Maybe they're, 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 they're playing in the session around one player, right. And one, a center back and one action, something like that, where the U 12 level, we, we individualize it in, in different, maybe position groups. Okay. Today we're going to work on, center backs, uh, carrying the ball into the, you know, whatever, whatever individualized action we can and, or, you know, different types of turning in the midfield. Right. So that would be a little bit more on a Monday. We're getting into a lot of detail, you know, of the, of the individual player, of the individual action. And we're getting a lot of repetition. Tuesday would be a little bit what we call a philosophy day, you know, where we're implementing some of our philosophy, uh, with, with bigger numbers be a little bit more of, you know, focus on the team off day on Wednesday, Thursday, same thing, bigger space, bigger numbers. Again, another philosophy day where we're, again, we're focusing in on, you know, whatever point we were at in our, in our periodization, um, in our annual plan. So again, more team, team oriented focusing. Friday's a little bit for the older teams would be a little bit more of a, a match preparation team for the 12s. We, we do on a Friday, we call it finalization. So we're, we're doing everything going to goal. We talk about Fridays being the most fun session that we can, we can put on. We want goals, 1v1 actions, you know, defending, defend inbox, defending, uh, crossing and finishing, you know, and, and we talk about, again, going into, usually we'll have the games on the Saturday, you know, how much fun, how many, how many actions to goal can we, can we, you know, show to the players, to have those those behaviors emerge over and over and over again, and then yeah, you know, a game on a Saturday, recovery on a Sunday, and then and then it kind of starts starts over from there. Like I said, with the twelves, not so worried about the, you know, the physical load. Um, you know, where the, the older older teams are tapering off. You know, as they get closer to the games, you know, we we carry a squad of 
22, 23 players. We got, we have four staff for that team. So when we do do those individualized days, uh, we can break it up in the circuits, right? We can do, you know, I can take a functional group. Somebody else can take six players, some six players and really hone in on the details. You know, we can get as creative as we want. And for that, the Mondays for me, it w- was really new. Wasn't something we did a lot at when I was at Barca. Um, at Barca, they they really stayed away from the individualized actions and and training. Where you know, I think at, at Red Bull, it's a really good blend of the the team and and still focusing in on the individual. Yeah, so I think what I'll do is I pick up on the Mondays and the Fridays because I think those for me are particularly interesting. So when we're looking at those individualized actions how are they decided for each player do they have individual plans which are set out and if they do what format or template do they do they use in order to facilitate what's being worked on or is that kind of a reaction to what's come over the weekend yeah so we we do have a lot of freedom uh we work in two-week blocks but we do have a lot of freedom from from our director to implement and and maybe uh adapt to, to certain things. But again, with the, the state, you know, with in mind is we want to make sure we hit, we hit everything in our annual plan, right. And not being so reactionary to, to a weekend on a, for a U12 game. Right. So I think the individualized, you know, as we get to our 15s and 17s, we actually have a staff member who's literally his, his role is he assists the second team. And he also uh, just works with IDPs and, you know that that's a little bit more individualized in the in the sense for the 15s and 17s for our top talents they're getting those repetitions of you know areas of their game that we've identified right and uh whether that's before training whether that's the activities we do in training maybe constraining them uh individually so you know i would say from the in the development phase 12s through 14s it's it's not so much about the specific individual it's more about maybe the the actions that the individuals will see repeatedly and and how can we expose them to different pictures um when they transition to 15 17 okay now now we're talking about players who you know we're we're, we're seeing and, and saying okay they, they have the potential to jump to the second team what is what's their strength you know what what sets them apart what's the reason why are they going to get signed? You know, we have that conversation a lot. What, what's their, what's their strength? Ultimately, that's the first team is going to go. Yeah, we need that, right? How do we continue to develop that? How do we work on areas of the game that that they need to to improve on? Uh, and that's where maybe it's a lot more individualized, if, if that makes sense. You know, with the twelves, we do you know individualized meetings a lot, and we talk about the areas. But it's it's not as much, you know, this player needs this, right? Because we want to expose them at that age to, to a variety of things, right? And and still with it in mind, you know, that they we don't know how they're they're gonna develop, right? We don't know if, you know, we're developing them as a center back if they're not gonna grow. And we need to, you know, so we're still de- trying to develop them as as footballers, you know, and decision makers first and foremost with with the the mentality and with the the behaviors of a Red Bull player, right? I think that's the the biggest thing for me is how can I make sure when they go to U13, they have the behavior of a Red Bull player, right? The um, the aggressiveness, you know, the the decision making part in in possession. How how do they have all those pieces when they're ready? Um, because ultimately, we don't you don't know what they're gonna what they're gonna turn out to be, you know, when they're they're age ten and eleven. Hey. Could you give us an example of maybe a Monday session that you've done? So maybe dig, dig back to just before Christmas, if you can remember that far. So maybe a Monday session that you delivered and what the topic was and then how you actually sculpted the session in and around that. Yeah. So one would, would we, we've introduced maybe different types of receiving in the midfield. So, you know, it would be something where, again, at this point, we, we have a lot of, we have a lot of staff. So we want to utilize the individual aspect we want to work in small groups so maybe the the first the first activity would be introducing the different types of turning turning without the ball obviously the perception piece the scanning is so important at this age and instilling you know the checking of the shoulders and and how often they're doing it so you know a 
turning across the body, receiving across the body. Uh, so, you know, identifying three or four different, you know, areas that we really want to hone in on, showing them that uh, maybe in an unopposed for 10 minutes, right? Which is, you know, I, I would say 98% of what we do is opposed, you know, but at, at that age, we do, we do think that it's important to maybe show some, some of these areas unopposed and, and, you know, not for 30 minutes, not, you know, it's, it's maybe 10 minutes, uh, of where we're showing the action, we're breaking down the action. Uh, and then, then basically the next activity would be moving into, we would, we would call it, you know, slight pressure, delayed pressure, where they're still executing that, that turn, that receive, um, but with slight pressure and, and, we're really big into trying to expose into different pictures of pressure coming from different areas, right? I think there's there's data out there that that says the amount of times you actually receive you receive the ball with pressure coming straight on is is so low compared to this side compared to the you know receiving pressure from the back. So trying to expose them to as many different pictures with pressure as possible, uh, and then you know going into to the next activity where it's more game like where it's you know, still maybe slight, slighter numbers. We try to keep the numbers low. We have a lot of those actions, you know, and again, and kind of progressing it and, and using different constraints uh, to bring those, those behaviors, those behaviors out. If we're trying to, you know, work on a, a receiving the ball across and, and, and receive the ball with one foot and play with the other, we call it catch and play. You know, we, we're big on using vocabulary that that is linked to a specific action. Okay, so catch and play, ultimately receiving the ball with one foot, playing with the other and trying to switch the point of attack. Okay, so in, the, in maybe our, our next activity, we wanna use certain constraints. We wanna lay down, we lay down vertical lines. The ball has to travel from, you know, it doesn't have to try to try to use a term we say is never say never, never say always, but incentivize uh, those, those actions, incentivize the, those behaviors. So you get extra points if you're able to move the ball from, you know, one area to another. Um, and, and you're almost tricking the player to, to, you know, work on those actions that you just, you just showed them. So that would be, you know, uh, an example of how, how we can kind of layer it in lesser numbers, more individualized, a specific action at the U12 age group and then how can we layer it into you know more game specific uh more decision making you know and, and sometimes we'll do an idp where it's right away it's under you know we we add pressure you know so it's not not so much pattern work it's not so much you know we try to take the yellow mannequins out of it uh and 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 we use a lot of rondo's positional games in our style to to get those behaviors to emerge and does that get uh, then highlighted for the game on a Saturday. So would you look to use that topic as a point of emphasis or point of um, success for the group on the Saturday? And if so, what what type of, not constraints, but reward systems would you put on them for the game to say, well, actually, you worked on this on Monday, you've done it really well on the Saturday, and here's the reason why. Yeah, and, and at the older age groups, we use a lot of KPIs. You know, at the younger age groups, we do KPIs, but a lot of objectives and, 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 you know, KPIs will be directly linked to where we are in our, in our periodization um, for sure. Different targets we want to hit and maybe it's an individualized target, right? Where we're just pulling over, you know, maybe the, the, the two or three players that may, you know, experience this and really was the, the activity or the, the, the IDP was, was tailored towards, you know, and just having a, a quiet word with them and say, listen, we'll, we'll go back after and we'll, we'll break it down and we'll look at it, but let's see, you know, how many times you're able to, to execute, you know, the, the areas that we, we worked on in training, you know, sometimes it's, it's a more in a philosophy day, you know, we are working on, um, you know, our, you know, pressing and our, and our counter pressing behavior. How many times can we win the ball in the attacking half, you know, things like that. And, you know, broad strokes and, and not getting too bogged down with stats and things like that. Uh, but little things we can, we can do and little KPIs we can um, incorporate to, to kind of give them the reminder. And, and then, you know, on game day, um, you know, we try to, we try to give them the first half to, to figure out their, their problems. Right. And if there's certain things we can, we can help with on, you know, from the sideline, 
we will, but really it's, it's, that's what's halftime is all about, right? Is for us to try to see if we can pull out some of the, the things we're seeing from them and, and, and really have them find, find the solutions. Um, it's not so much, you know, trying to fix it from minute one, right? We want them to struggle, you know, and we, we always say, you know, it's, it's difficult for us to get competitive games a lot, right? Cause we're pulling from the best players from the area. So when we get into a game where the players are struggling early on, it's we want to sit back and, and watch and, and see which players respond and see which players are, are, are trying to solve the problem because um, that's where they're going to learn. Right. You know, it's, it's the scoreline doesn't matter, right? The games that, that we lose, you're going, how can we get that team back on the schedule? You know, the teams that are close games that, that show you different pictures, you're going, man, that was what an experience for our players. We, we took the 12s to um, a tournament in Austin. You know, we do one, one event where we travel with the U12s and we took them to, um, this event in December and it was all MLS academies. It was hosted by Austin FC, Dynamo were there, LA Galaxy, Inter Miami, Colorado, Houston and us. And uh, it, it was such an unbelievable experience for the players because each game presented a different, a different problem and something that they haven't seen and exposing them to the different cultures and the different backgrounds of, of how styles of play of how different teams play, right? LA Galaxy, how they played, as opposed to Austin, right? And you know, I won't won't mention who played different styles, but you know, we 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 go into one game and you know we're seeing a low block at, at 9v9, you know, and, and I'm going, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. And it's you know, it's it's not so often where you see that at, you know, at that age. And and you're sitting back and going at halftime, all right, what's the what's the problem here? Okay, and and how do we how do we find the solution? And being tactically adaptable is is a big term we use. Um, we want to play like Red Bull, but if the team doesn't allow you to play like Red Bull, then okay, now we want to produce players that now have to find solutions and and ultimately implement a different style. Because you know, in a low block, there's no space in behind. It's hard to play vertical. Perfect. Okay, what are the solutions? Where's the spaces? Um, so that experience for us, you know, and for the players to see you know, each game is a different training, training session, you know, and, and having that experience was, was so good for the players, players to see. We will touch on that because that's one of the areas I wanted to talk to you about anyway, but just on what you said there, you mentioned kind of a Red Bull style. So what is the Red Bull style? What would we expect to see from your team? Um, and then I guess the next question off the back of that, you also mentioned the tactical flexibility or adaptability, whatever you want to call it how do you go around encouraging your group to have that and how do you work with the group so they have that flexibility in in, in a game or in training or whatever that looks like yeah well you know having come from a Barca methodology to the the Red Bull philosophy you know in some areas they're kind of on polar opposite ends of the spectrum um but for me that you know the non-negotiables for what a Red Bull team looks like it needs to be high tempo, aggressive, um, you know, forward defending, high pressing, you know, all these kind of the buzzwords to when you show up to the field, you need to go, wow, that's a, that's a Red Bull team. The person at the scenes with, with aggression and, and, and how quickly they play, how, how bullish they are without the ball, how willing they are to, to press. And I mean, it, it, having been here now and see the demographic of players, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's fit for this type of culture, this type of kid that we have that walk through the door. Um, you know, they they're they're winners. They want to compete. Like the, you know, these eleven, ten year olds, like I've never seen. I didn't even know that at that age you could have so many players that are just, you know, again they're they're just little they're little men, right? That that just wanna just wanna tackle, compete, win, and fight and scrap. You know, and, and I think that's that's all well and good and, and perfect. And, of course, that's what we want. Okay, we have a term that we use, um, you know, it, it's called 100 to 70. And I think that's maybe the shift since since Sean has, has taken over Red Bull Academy. It's, okay, we've won the ball. Great. Now, 
Now this here's the area where we need to be better. And of course, rebel philosophy, we want to hurt the opponent. We want to score in 10 seconds. That's the golden rule. We want to win the ball. We want to win the ball high. And we want to, we want to score within 10 seconds. If we can do that, amazing, right? I think it's the most effective way of playing. But what if the opponent doesn't allow that, right? And I think this is where um, we're starting to we're starting to develop players who are, who are more adaptable and, and understand the modern game that what if a team takes away that space, right? So for us, you know, a rebel player still has to make the right decisions. It's not go forward at all costs. Maybe the, maybe the right decision to hurt the opponent is a release pass or relief pass to backwards, right? And, and, and I think that's where the, the, the development and, and the changing of the, the philosophy at the academy level is starting to, to occur because Again, we want players. We want, and somebody looks at a at a rebel player. They want to have all of those things I talked about. But are they good footballers? Well, have to be good footballers because in the modern game, you can't. You know, you have to. You have to have all those things, right? So I think with Sean's experience, you know, having been at Barca, having you know been at different areas as well, he he understands that. You know, how can we get the most co complete player? And again, not forgetting the Red Bull philosophy because it's it's unbelievable and and it's it really does you know produce you know a, a type of player that fits our our player profile of the area we're in but also now how can we continue to to develop players who are, are good decision makers who can play quickly who have the ability to to find you know those difficult passes but also make decisions uh, when they're not on so and how do you work with them on that? Because I'd imagine if you're playing, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of the games where you're the stronger opposition, you're able to win the ball back and penetrate, I'd imagine, quite a lot of the time. Whereas playing against teams that either equally match to you or come with a different style, that then poses a problem that your players probably don't experience from a week-to-week -week basis. So how do you prepare them for those type of events or those type of tournaments or games? What type of things do you implement in training that allows them to go, actually, I've got some level of understanding of how to tackle this, and this is the way we could go as a group to try and get some success? Yeah, absolutely. And then I think it comes with different ways that we can constrain our training sessions. And it's something that, um, you know, we do a lot. We do in terms of, okay, we want to break down a low block. We want to, you know, in a in a mid block, uh, where's the space? Okay, and getting the players to to understand by by our constraints by not even maybe you know telling the the team in possession uh but but constraining the 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 defending team and and saying you're going to go out and press like this you're going to play in this formation you know you again different things that we can do to implement to to give our players different pictures and that's something that we talk about all the time they need they need to see different pictures and and then video video is huge you know with you know Obviously, the older players, more importantly, but still, you know, we we show pictures to to the the twelves and and we we just present it in maybe different ways, you know, and going okay, in this you know in this situation, where's the space? Okay, the space is in beyond. Okay, maybe that's an area where we can look to exploit. Okay, we've won the ball. This team has taken the space away. Where where's the space now? You know, where can we occupy? Where can we have? you know, play our players occupy, what are the best spaces to occupy that maybe we need to be more patient, right? We need to be a little bit more patient in possession and we need to move the opponent first. Um, we use a, a term attract or attack, you know, are we attracting, right? Man, attracting means we need to maybe play a little bit more, you know, we need to circulate the ball more. We need to attract, right? And, and we talk about it all the time with our, our 12s. How do we attract pressure? Okay. The types of passes we give to our teammate, the information that we give to our teammates staying on the ball, right? Maybe probing, you know, coming into the midfield with the ball as a center back to attract pressure to now create a 2v1. Now where's the new space? So again, giving them different solutions or giving them different problems. So the solutions are there and then asking them and then showing them, right? And, you know, in the way that that we we coach, um, we, we, hate, we hate to stop the training. We hate to stop the training. The, wor the worst thing we can do is a big freeze, right? It's the it's the worst thing as a player, right? And, and everybody who was a player knows that. This guy, okay, now he's going to talk for two, three minutes, and now I'm not playing, right? So how do we get the, the those 
you know, behaviors to emerge in the training session without having to always stop it uh, and then reflect, right? When, when they're getting a drink, you know, talking about, well, what were some of the, the problems that we saw? Okay, well, this team, you know, and maybe maybe we, we had a, con a constraint where we laid a line and maybe the, the back four couldn't step, right? So they were in a compact shape the whole time. Okay, the, the spaces was in front of them. Okay, so we had to move them. We had to entice them. We needed to play maybe in then to go out, right? So just little things that we can do, you know, repeatedly over and over and over again. And again, and, and you would think our players, because of our philosophy, and it's true, they see a lot of high press. And, and, and we think it's great because they, they learn that they have to play out of that. Okay, but what happens when they, when they don't see that, right? So trying to give them different pictures uh, and really using different constraints to, to have that come out without giving them the solutions. You know, I, I, we, we hate it when, when you walk into a training session, the coach goes, okay, this is what we're going to work on. Uh, this is uh, this is the objective. You've already given them the solution. You know, uh, here are the rules. Go and play, okay. And then layer in the constraints. Layer in the constraints that will give different behavior. They figured it out, okay. Now layer in a, do, a new constraint. You know, they were on the brink of uh, this is easy. Now the constraints different. Um, so, you know, in, in our in our methodology and in, in our methods, we can we can really try to to bring out different behaviors and expose them to, to different styles of play. I guess looking onto that tournament then, um, and this could, I guess could be used in training as well. When you were going into that, how did you frame this tournament for the group? So was this, uh, oh, here's the teams we're going to be playing against. This is the styles they like to play. Or was it a very much a, we're just going to go into each game and see what that presents us. And what was the format of the tournament itself? Did you play every team or was it a knockout or what did that look like? Yeah, so for us, it's it's always about us going into any game, even in the 17s. It's it's how well can we, we you know, we want other teams to adapt to us, right? And and again, then then there's going to be, you know, some in-game adjustments. But for us, the U12 level, it was how well can we play as, the, you know, as a rebel team? And again, at the U12 level too, it's, that means we're going to be good footballers. We're going to, we're, we want possession. We want to, we want to pin the opponent in. We want to find the spaces. We want to create chances. We want to press, you know, so it, it was all about us, you know, going into something like that. It, it was also, okay, how can we expose them to what it's going to be like for them further down the line? What does it look like to travel as a Red Bull player to, to hold themselves to professional standards, you know? So we didn't talk about the opponent once, you know, and, and, and maybe we, we would, we would do, you know, video sessions before each game, but the video sessions were just, you know, uh, more of a, of a formality to get them in that, you know, they felt like pros, you know, they're walking in and go, man, this is, this is amazing. You know, and, and the clips we're showing is of us, is of us, you know, doing things well and, and um, really giving them the, you know, the pictures of this is if, if we play well, this is what we look like. Right. And, and then we're, of course, we're going to see different, different, uh, you know, styles and different problems, but we've, we need to be able to figure that out and, and be adaptable as, as we go. And, you know, we played in, in, it was two groups. So it was two groups of four, you played three games and then there was a final. Uh, and, and it was, it was unbelievable after we, we played LA galaxy the first night. And, you know, we bring the, the, the players back into the, into the hotel afterwards and, and we're in the meeting room. And as a staff, we decided what an opportunity because of what we've, we've seen. Uh, we talked about how, how the players um, talk to the hotel staff. So we didn't even talk about the game. You know, we, do, we, we, we didn't even, it was an opportunity for us. It was a learning moment for them. To, it was the first time they'd ever been in a hotel. And their parent wasn't there saying, hey, I need a room key or I need this. Or... So it was such a learning experience for them off the field as much as it was on the field that it was, um, you know, it, it was an opportunity for us to really, really show them, you know, what it's like to be a Red Bull athlete and to, and to travel and how to hold yourself in a professional way. And then, yeah, we, I think we, we, we won two games, we drew a game, and then we, we played Atlanta United in the final and, and we won. But it, it, it wasn't, you know, again, it wasn't about 
the wins or losses. It was about the experience um, and seeing different styles of play and how how we could adapt to that. And could you see the difference uh, differences from academy to academy or like culture to culture? Because you know, like you've said, like we said beforehand, at the moment in New York it's freezing. We watch the Buffalo Bills at the weekend; it's snowing and stuff, which I'd imagine you know has a certain type of resident you have to be resolute to be able to go outside in that weather and train and stuff. Whereas in LA it's different because, you know, you can go down, it's nice and warm. I imagine it'd be nice by the beach and all that type of stuff. So not saying one's better than the other, but do you see the differences from academy to academy? And did the players see that when they were looking at the other teams playing, did they notice, oh, actually they play different to us or they act different to us? Yeah, for, you know, I definitely saw it. And having worked on the West Coast as well, it's a different type of, of player for sure. Um, so this, the styles the styles were definitely different. And, and um, you know, some of the philosophies, absolutely. You can see that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to, to bring out certain behaviors. But again, I think everybody does such a good job at the MLS Academy level with those ages. They understand that we're still we're producing footballers, you know, and I think one thing that was apparent is that every, every player was technically sound. Every player, you know, you can tell had been exposed to, um, you know, training in a professional environment where they have to make decisions and things like that. So I would say that, you know, I, for us, it, it was most apparent in, in the way that our boys counterpressed and pressed um even though we were very good on the ball we scored a lot of goals we had a lot of the possession in a lot of the games but I think you know some of the other teams are going man it's the behavior of your players was really was really different and it's just again like you said the the type of player we attract is is they're like little men who just want to compete and they want the ball and they you know it it, it was really apparent for me is that, that the the mentality is, is really different, right? We played LA Galaxy and they have players who are super comfortable on the ball, you know, can get out of pressure and you're going individually, you're going, man, that kid's a, that kid has it. You know, a few of those kids really, really are just influenced, you know, they influence the game in, in such a beautiful way. And then, um, you know, different, different, different styles. It's definitely a little bit more difficult in the, in the 99 in the half field to, to truly, you know, there, there's a lot more stoppages of play and, you know, it's, a little bit more difficult, um, but it, it was definitely apparent. But in terms of the players recognizing it, I think they did a good job when when probed. You know, when when they were there, they were just loving life. They just wanted to play. You know, and and, and it's a little bit more difficult. At, you know, ten and eleven years old, we brought four we brought four players who played a year up. You know, so we had ten year olds, nine year olds. You know, that that you know again it's maybe not their first instinct to think how is the opponent playing and things like that but you know when when probed and when um uh, you know asked you know that they, they got it they understood and and going out into the second half is really how we judge okay how do they take the information in and and um apply you know some of the the the, the differences that the opponent's giving us a different solution how can they apply you know what we spoke about and we were really impressed it, it was an unbelievable experience and how do you embed that those behaviours in? Like you've mentioned there, particularly the counter pressing and pressing is big for you guys. I'd imagine, although a lot of the kids will do it because that's what they want to do, you're going to get the occasional ones where it's not their bag. Like you got a Pogba at United. I'm not sure he's too keen on it. Being a Spurs fan, I know Delhi Ali, Delhi Ali definitely isn't too keen on it at the moment. Sure, um, sure. But how do you go around maybe getting those outliers who isn't their first? thought or isn't there super strength to do that to then buy into the group philosophy yeah and and we do such a good job at the organization level that our pre-academy starts at we have a um, u10 and u11 and then the youth programs feed into that and our pre-academy they do so, such a good job where we're you know our u12 and u13 staff is almost an extension of the pre-academy so really it's u9 through u13 and we're implementing the same behaviors. We're, we're, we're sharing ideas of, okay, this is the type of player we want to see when they, when they walk through our academy. When they're U12, this is the type of player. These are the non-negotiables that they have to have. And if you start doing that at U9, U10, U11, and 
implementing this behavior, it's easy by the time they get to U12, right? And and we do things like it's a constant. Counterpressing is a constant. Certain non-negotiables we have is is a constant. Every single activity. So basically, it's getting to point where we're we're in the beginning we're we're implementing constraints okay you win the you lose the ball the team that just won the ball every pass that they connect they get a point so if you just lost the ball and you're watching the opponent connect goals your mind's going to think we have to get that ball back right or if they're able to dribble out of the you know different things that that a lot of people use Um, but if you're using that in every single activity and you're incentivizing those moments, it becomes a, a behavior. And it becomes a behavior to the point where at U15, maybe you don't even need those constraints because the environment is going to push, the players are going to push that environment. That, And it becomes a non-negotiable that if a player doesn't do it at training, they'll get eaten alive. The players have so much control over those things that it makes the, it, it makes coaching easy, right? If you impl- If you're able to, to implement that at a young age and, and it carries itself across, you know, when I took over the 14s, if a player wasn't counterpressing, I didn't have to say a word, you know, it's so instilled in them that, that the players, you know, they're getting on them. And it's, it's, you know, we, we use things like, you know, first up giving the ball away is, is irresponsible. You know, it's, it's unacceptable to give the ball away, but if you do, you better have a response. And if you don't, Again, that's going to be, I think it's each club has an area of the game that they want to really, uh, you know, excel in and and put a lot of point of emphasis on. That's one of ours because we want to have the ball back. You know, we ultimately, we want the ball. So if we lose it, we want to w- be able to win it back immediately. And those behaviors mixed in with the, the type of profile of some of the athletes we have here, you know, in, in coming through the doors at, at 13, 14 year old, you know, I didn't see the the team that I have now with the 14s where I've been working with. They're bigger than the 17s and more athletic than the 17s I had at Barca. And I'm going on the West Coast, right? It's going just a different profile of player. Um, and again, when you mix that in with um, these behaviors, it, it's it's it becomes a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That to work affected with. the way that you've coached or you coach. Uh, it's affected. Yeah. Because I, I think I also have a lot of value to add in terms of how, how can we improve the players in possession? Um, so, you know, for sure, I think being able, we talked about the hundred to 70, that aspect. Okay. Now how can we make better decisions once we've won the ball? How can we have better structure? So when we do lose the ball, okay, we're in a better area to go and win and counter press. So yeah, I think so. And, and just being at Red Bull it has given me, you know, where I was before, Barca doesn't believe in transitions. It's not even an aspect of the, the they have two moments. Two, they either have the ball, they don't. And now I'm in it, I'm learning and I'm, and I'm thinking about these, these moments um, and, and being able to implement that. I just feel like a, a more well-rounded coach. Um, and it's kind of given me another aspect in my arsenal. Um, and, and toolbox as a coach. Uh, and, and also it gives it, you know, I would say until I got here, I didn't, I didn't really necessarily know that the, the, the technical aspect of, of against the ball, you know, the ball recovery, you know, they go into such detail here that it, it's the same thing that you can implement with the ball. You can implement without the ball. When you bring those together, you're really, com- you know, you're, you're, you're trying to develop a, a well-rounded complete player. Um, which, yeah, it's it's been really eye-opening. I've learned a lot, um, learned a lot from my my colleagues um, and watching and and failing, you know, and and going back and sitting in those rooms in the check-in challenge rooms um, and going, man, that didn't work, you know. Okay, what didn't work? How can we fix it? Um, I think being humble is it's an attribute that I, I've always it come easy to me, um, but it comes from, it stems from an area where I, I want to constantly learn, you know, failing is good because I know I'm, I can learn from it. So it, it's been an experience. It's been difficult, but it's been uh, really rewarding as well. In the Barcelona side, why, why don't they focus or why don't they believe in that transitional piece? Yeah. Well, 
first off, it's not it's ninety percent with the ball. It, it's literally it, it, if you don't have the ball and, and you're in that philosophy, then you're doing something wrong. So for them, it, it's it's either we have the ball or we don't have the ball. And when we have the ball, it, it's similar. It's it's we should we're going to be in a, in a better structure while we're having the ball. The longer we have the ball, we're in a better structure. So when that ball turns over, now we don't have the ball, we can win it back, right? So it's it's much more patient, much more methodical. Um, and again, it's like transitions are are their enemy. You know, they want the ball. They, it's, they, they have the mentality of when we don't have the ball, they're suffering. They're suffering. And then when we have the ball, they're, they're punishing. You know, they're really trying to, to move the opponent, you know, and they, you know, I think that's the biggest difference is we win the ball here. Okay. How can we hurt the opponent? Which, you know, I, I makes a lot of sense to me, right? We, how can we hurt the opponent? But Barca, it's more, we need to connect the first pass so we can find our structure. The next pass, the next pass, how we move the opponent, move the opponent. Um, and at the youth level, having, having been in college coach and recruited and seen games at the top level for years, when I got to Barca, I I hadn't seen a, a youth team play like that, um, you know, to really impose their way in possession. You know, that team that Sean was the coach was U17. They had top players, Matthew Hoppe, Julian Araujo, Caden Clark, Bryce Duke. I mean, they had national team players on that team. And they just, they had the ball in the opponent's half and they had it the whole game, you know, and I'm going, man, I've never seen anything like this. Um, so to be able to now take a lot of that and 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 you know help our players and and improve our players and then still have the piece of when we when we don't have the ball, you know everybody's all in. It's it's a scary uh, ingredient. I think it's it's been a lot of fun to see, you know how the the players are adapting to to you know both sides of ball recovery and in possession. Um, it's been really exciting. And, and then not only that, and then the, the the opportunity for the players to go and implement that and be challenged and play with the second team. You know, I think Red Bull 2, their average age was 19. Right? So, you know, it, it it gives them the opportunity to go and prove themselves. And, and um, it, it's such a, such a great tool for us to, okay, let's see how they do. And they're going to struggle. You know, they're going to struggle. And we're going to watch them struggle and we're going to help them. And then, you know, slowly but surely, you'll see him. King Clark, right, he was with Red Bull 2 and he struggled in the beginning. You know, and then he started scoring goals. And then he gets, to, you know, opportunity with the first team. You know, that's a success. You know, and it's not all, I'm sure, if you ask Caden, those first couple of games, it was, it was probably frustrating. So having the pathway um, definitely helps. It gives the players the the long-term, you know, blueprint and gives us the opportunity to really push them perfect so last question for me which is who is the best player or coach you've worked with or against and why uh oh man put me on the spot here best coach i've worked with um well i've i've definitely been influenced by by a lot of people and i i think um you know my experiences i always say that my experiences are really what would have shaped me I've, I've met um you know in the college game angie and, and alan dawson you know i really learned the aspects of um how to manage programs how to manage you know teams and you know then getting into player development and watching sean mccafferty watching um you know, the, the Barca guys, Camilo Esperanza, Wama, Mena, the two Barca guys, and Xavi Bravo, how they, how they, you know, that the develop players, how they hold, hold players to high expectations and high standards, um, you know, for me was, was really eye-opening, uh, you know, so, and then, and then moving now to, to the people that I'm learning from now, you know, Johnny Roach, Simon Nee, Daniel Gutierrez, the guys that, um, you know, I'm learning from it at Red Bull is it, it's just a, I, I think, you know, every experience, every step of the way, um, you get to, you get to learn from others, you know, you get to take what you like, you get to realize where your shortcomings are, you know, 
I go and watch the the 17s. I watch Johnny Rhodes and and you know just the the seamlessness of of how he runs his training sessions. You know, and I go, man, I need to be better at that. You know, and then then picking his brain and and uh, you know learning from others and and being vulnerable and and being in the room and going, yeah, you know, I I really don't understand this because this is why. You know, and I think learning the why from each individual for me has been the biggest reason the biggest um acceleration in my development is is asking why you know and and you know being around those guys it's really it's really helped and i feel very lucky to be in those in those offices and hearing the discussions um one guy we we had at at, when i was at barcelona dennis silva who's now um he was the he was the juvenile a coach at barca so you know essentially he was the third in line right? If Barca, Barca B, he was the 19th coach. And, you know, he would come to, to Arizona and he would, he would, he would give the, the presentations. And one thing I loved is there's so much, there's so much theory, you know, that goes into that, but he was so practical. He was so practical in how we use the theory. Uh, I learned so much just listening from him and, okay, this is, this is our idea. Okay. Now how do we translate that to the game? Right. So, um, he, he had a big influence on me. And then of course, watching Sean, uh, Sean McCafferty do it. Um, it's another, you know, when I was in Barca, I could just watch and say he, he had such a way of connecting with players and the relationships that he, that he built with the players. Um, you can tell, can tell when, when players really trust a coach and, and really want to learn. Um, and, and it's all about those relationships. So, yeah, again, long-winded answer there, but but a lot of people who have influenced me, and, and I feel very lucky to to be in those rooms and and listen and learn. So, yeah, perfect. I think it shows. Obviously, you've got a, you've had a good journey so far, and hopefully that that will continue with the experiences and the type of people you come across. But listen, Chris, really appreciate your time. Fascinating to hear about all the work you guys are doing, and hopefully catch up with you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.